You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Hallelujah. So, this morning, uh, I'm not going to be doing any, any more prayers. I've already, I've already been prayed for this morning when I came in here. Great things happened in that room. But I'm going to pray for grace for you. And the grace I'm going to be praying for is the grace for you to understand my accent. So receive grace in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> like I'm Nigerian. I came here when I was over 40. So it's too late to change to the Canadian accent. So <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, since last night that I came in here, I discovered that everyone that has been talking, even if it was just for two minutes or three minutes, has been saying something that has to do with what God gave to me to share with you people today. And I want to just ask that you have an open, open heart to receive whatever God has to say to you through me this morning. My lips are just lips of clay, but I know God is going to speak something to your heart today. And I know that for some of us, it might touch us personally. But you know what? Bless the seed that is not offended in me. <laughs> I have to quote what Jesus said. Bless the seed that is not offended in me. If it touches you personally, it's not because it is you. It is because God wants to touch every one of us this morning. And he has one thing or the other to say to us. Now, when Mel shared with me that I was going to be um, when she asked me if I was going to be sharing, of course, I didn't accept initially. Then I shared it with my husband. My husband said, why not? And then I prayed. But at some point, I realized that God was just giving me one verse, one scripture, at different times, in the mall, in the, at work, at home, in my sleep. One thing or the other was just dropping. Say this. Share this. And then I asked her what I asked her when uh, what the topic was. She said it had to do with about uh, it had to do with the kingdom of God and intimacy with the Lord. And um, God will have me share with you this morning. Maybe take you back to the time of creation. The original plan of God was to have fellowship and intimacy with man. In Genesis one from verse 26, and I think Victoria talked about, uh, not Victoria, uh, Rebecca talked about it this morning. Genesis 1.26. If you have your Bible, can you just open with two? So Genesis 1.26-28. I'm going to read, sorry, I'm old school. I have King James. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he man, him. Male and female created them. 
created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, in God's original plan, it's for man to, have, to share in his dominion. And that is why he said at the beginning, let us create man. The us he was talking about here was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do I know? The book of John, 1 John 7 says, there are three that bear records in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And the book of John, first, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 of, of that same chapter, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So Jesus was there at the beginning. Now, he created the heavens and the earth, and he asked man to share in his dominion. That's to tell you that from the very beginning, he wanted intimacy with man. And because God longed for this intimacy so much, in chapter 1 of Genesis, he, he came up with a conversation to create man. In chapter 2 of Genesis, he actually created man. And what did he do after creating man? He created the animals. He created the beasts of the field. And he brought them to Adam. And the Bible says, Adam named every animal that God created. What's happening there? Sharing in the dominion of God. He called them. If he, if he looked at this one and said, oh, you're going to be called dog. He was called dog. Oh, you, elephant. You, leopard. He named them. And you know what? God now looked at it and said, it is not good for this man to be alone. He says, I will create a help for him. And he caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And he took from his rib and created Eve. Listen to me, sisters. God did not discuss with Adam that he was going to be creating Eve. But he caused him to fall into deep sleep. And what happened? When he created Eve, he brought her to Adam. And the Bible says he looked at her and said, At last, the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman. Isn't that amazing? Man, Adam, was still sharing in that dominion and was still having that fellowship with God. And what happened in verse 3? In verse 2, he told them, in chapter 2, sorry, he told them, kept them in the garden. Don't, you can eat of every other fruit, but not of this. But what happened? Man was deceived. And man took of that fruit. He was asked not to eat from. And when God came down to have fellowship, to have that intimacy with man and woman, and the woman he had created in chapter 3, he came and they were hiding because they had taken of that fruit and then they suddenly realized that they were naked. Amen they realized that they were naked. They had fallen from where he kept them. Their eyes were opened. And God came for fellowship. The Bible says in the cool of the evening, and he called, where are you? 
He said, I am hiding. Why are you hiding? He said, because I am naked. Man lost that dominion. Man lost the one-on-one -on -one communication he was supposed to be having with, the make, with his maker. Man dropped. Man became disobedient. And that act of disobedience prevented man from having direct access to God. God had to make another way to communicate with man. And this time, it, wasn't, it was no longer a direct access. It had to be done through the tabernacle. It became the place where man encountered God. And this time, they had to do, do it through the high priest. And um, I'm just going to give us a brief def uh, description of the uh, tabernacle, as was said in the Bible. There were three um, chambers. The first one was called the outer courts. The second one was called the holy place. And the third one was called the holy of holies. And the holy of holies contained um, the ark of covenant. The priest enters into the Holy of Holies once in a year, and it was on the Day of Atonement. And when man sinned, when the Israelites sinned, they had to go through the priest. The priest, there will be a sacrifice, and, you know, for, um, for, for, for the sin that that man has committed, uh, an animal had to be killed and all of that. Now, I'm going to... Um, just share some things with us about that place, the Holy of Holies. It was a place where even the high priest had to be very careful. If he made a mistake, he was going to be struck dead. If he did anything God did not command him to do, he was going to die. Now, there's a, there's a tradition that says a rope was tied around the priests. And of course, there were bells. How do we know there were bells? The Bible says in the book of uh, Genesis, in the book of Exodus, sorry, Exodus 28, 35, concerning Aaron, he said the sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. So the, 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 the bells were round them. So each time the priest was doing the sacrifice, when the people were hearing the sound of the bell outside, they knew the priest was alive. So, but if the priest made some mistake, he dies there. And the tradition that says there's a rope, even though the Bible never mentioned the rope, the, the, the tradition that says there's a rope, it says it's that rope that is used to pull the priest out of the Holy of Holies. Now, think about yourself. How many times have you made mistakes before God? How many times have you purposely sinned against God? Yet he did not strike you dead. He showed you mercy. Because you're, thinking you're, living in, you're living in a time of mercy. But let's not take it for granted. Because the Bible says he would have mercy on whom he would have mercy. And he would have compassion of, on whom he would have compassion. But you see, concerning Pharaoh, he was a person that was created for destruction. May we not be that kind of person. May we not take the grace of God for granted. The time has come 
to begin to move from where you are to where you ought to be. Praise the Lord. And so, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the veil at the temple. <laughs> it was, it's amazing, it's amazing. Now, um, the veil is a very long one. It's woven in, the, in three colors, purple, blue, and scarlet. The Bible says it's 60 feet, 60 feet, 60 feet long and 30 feet wide. And four inches thick. That veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Separated man, the normal man and woman that you and I are, was in the outer courts. Now, the veil was so massive, and um, I read that it took 300 priests to manipulate that veil. And of course, I earlier told us that um, the priest will only enter into the place, um, the holies uh, of holy of holies, on the day of atonement. And in this place, you see, um, the veil separated, like I said, the, the most holy place from the holy of holies. The most holy place is the place that held the the act, the ark of covenant, and the mercy seat. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was a gold lead, which was the place for the propitiation of sin by the sprinkling of innocent blood. And um, if man sinned, he had to appease the wrath of God through um, a sacrifice. And of course, if any man walked behind that veil, he will die. But in spite of all this, God still had his plan for man. And he allowed the son come in the form of, a fl of flesh. The one who knew no sin. He made him bear our sin. He was despised. They killed him. They nailed him to the cross. And he died. He died on the cross. But you see, the death of Jesus coincided with the feast of Passover. But when Jesus died, that veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. What does that tell you? No man can tear that. It took 300 priests to manipulate it. But when God was going to tear it, it took him, the maker of the veil, the initiator of the veil, to tear it. And he didn't just, he didn't do it from bottom so that you think they used the scissors. No. He tore it from the top to the bottom. So, that division, that thing that separated man from God was taken away when Jesus died. Jesus paid the perfect sacrifice the one who knew no sin died and the veil was torn. Today we put our trust in Jesus because we have direct access to God. The Bible says in the book of 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says, God made him who knew no sin 
to be seen so that in him will become the righteousness of God. Jesus was torn for our sake. We no longer need that high priest with the robes and the bells, with the incense. Jesus himself is our high priest. Amen. Now I'm going to move on to intimacy. I didn't want to give a definition of my own. Everyone, if I ask us to define intimacy, everybody will have different <laughs> definitions. So I decided to go to the dictionary. And it says, intimacy is close familiarity and friendship. Some say close and loving relationship. It, some say intimacy is the experience of really knowing and being known by another person. Then I went ahead to psychologytoday.com. It says intimacy has seven elements. So there are seven elements that define intimate relationship. It says number one is knowledge. Number two is interdependence. Number three is care. Number four is trust. And number five is responsiveness. Number six is mutuality, and number seven is commitment. If you're right and you, if you don't have all of that, I can say I can go over it again. Are we good? Okay, one more time. So the number one is knowledge. Number two, interdependence. Number three is care. Remember, I prayed for grace for you to understand my accent. So care, C-A-R-E. Number four is trust. Number five is responsiveness. Number six is mutuality, like you have a mutual relationship. And number seven is commitment. So and I looked for the meaning of the kingdom. I didn't want to use my head. It says the spiritual reign or the authority of God. Now, an intimate friend is someone we feel very close to. They know us so very much to a very deep level. Some of them, like when we open our mouth, they know the exact thing we're going to say. But if something happens that damages our intimacy with our friend, they feel very distant from us. If something happens that damages your intimacy with God, you will feel very, very distant from God. One thing I know and I've read about intimacy is that it is relational. Like in IT, they talk about relational database. So intimacy is relation, relational. And um, I want to say today that intimacy with God goes beyond emotions. It sits down deep in our souls. It is reflected in our actions. And you know what? True intimacy starts from drawing near to God. I mean intimacy with God. Now to be able to maintain intimacy, there are some things we must do or some things we must not do. The number one thing to be able to maintain our intimacy with God is for us to stay away from sin. 
last night you were talking, mom, and <laughs> you said, you said, sin, that even, how, that, do we know that not asking for direction from God is a sin? Sin goes beyond what most of us consider as sin. Some of us just see, oh, when I kill someone, when I slander someone, when I, it goes beyond that. The Bible says that whosoever knows what to do and refuses to do it, it said to him it is a sin. So, if you know where you should function in the house of God and you refuse to function in it, to you it is a sin. In the book of Habakkuk, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says the Lord is of a purer eye than to behold iniquity. And Proverbs 3.32 says, The Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright in confidence. So, I want to tell you this morning, God is not going to maintain intimacy with disobedient children. He's not going to maintain intimacy with disobedient Christians. But for us to, be, to maintain intimacy, we must do all it takes to avoid sin. The Bible says in the book of uh, Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seated in the seat of the scornful. It says the delight of that man is on the law of the Lord. And on it, that he meditate day and night. He went ahead to describe that man. He will be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water. He kept on and on and on and on and on. Let me ask you this morning. Where do you sit? Who are those that you associate with? What kind of life are you living what kind of life am I living? Let's look deep on the inside of us, you and I. God is speaking to us. What kind of assembly do we keep? Yes, we need to, to witness to, to sinners. But if that is your continual place of habitation, you need to check it. The God, the God we serve does not take the light in scornful people. Yes, he wants sinners to repent and come to the knowledge of him. But he doesn't want anybody to die a sinner. And you know what? We live in a world where things are changing. So many things are happening. The world we live in is corrupt. Either you, like, either you believe it or not. And you know one of unfortunate things we have done as Christians? We have brought the world into the church. Yeah. We're supposed to take the church to the world. But we have done the opposite. And suddenly we feel it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We just keep doing whatever we like. God has not changed in the book of 2 Timothy 2, 19, it says, Nevertheless, the foundation of the Lord standeth sure. 
It says it has a seal. What is the seal? The Lord knoweth them that are his. So it says every man that names by the name of the Lord should depart from iniquity. God is of a prayer eyes than to behold iniquity. Thank God for Canada. Thank God for the freedom that is in Canada. But you know something? The freedom you have in Canada is the cause of most of the problems. I'm sorry I'm Nigerian, but I have to tell you the truth. In the book of Galatians, it says you have been called unto liberty. You've been called unto freedom, but the freedom is not unto sin. Blessed is the man who is not offended. Blessed is the woman who is not offended in me. In the book of Galatians that I shared with you, Galatians 5.13, it says you've been called unto liberty, but do not use it as an occasion for the flesh. So you have freedom. The Bible is saying, do not use your freedom to sin. I see people exercise that freedom. I'm sorry. I am very sorry. I belong to this assembly. And I'm just saying it the way it is being dropped in my spirit. Blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Freedom in this assembly has been used as, an, as occasions to sin. We take the house of God for granted because it no longer strikes people dead. We come into the church. There's a note at the door that says prayer time is 9.30 to 9.50. And you come into the church and people are praying. The pastor is walking up and down and praying. And you come discussing at the loudest pitch and loudest tone. My sister, you're using your freedom to sin. No one did it. In the time of Jesus, nobody would be making noise in the presence of God. This church is so blessed. There's coffee, there's tea, all the kind of teas I've never seen. And people come into the church, they grab coffee. Please excuse me, your cup. They grab coffee from the back. They drink the coffee, coffee and they leave the cup in the church. And Pastor Edward will be picking cups. You're using your liberty unto sin. Your child comes to the church. You grab water for your child. Your child finishes taking the water and starts drawing on the cup and tears the cup to pieces. And you leave after service without telling that child to pick his mess. In fact, your child should not tear that cup in church. When you're done, when your child is done, take the cup to the garbage can. We have to begin to teach our children 
to have respect for God and for the things of God. The generation we are raising, the generation we are raising, if we don't do something about it, God is going to ask us on the last day. And you know what? This generation that I am part of, there's so much that is expected of us. If you know Jesus here, you are supposed to share him with your family members who don't know him. And for your child, don't say he's one or he's two. Keep telling that child about Jesus. Keep making that child have respect for the things of God and reverence for God. There is no reason why your child should be making noise in church. There is no reason whatsoever. That's why we have the kids' church. Look, when they're in the kids' church, they know how to manage them there. They know when to get them to do some things. They know when to get them to sing. They know when to get them to clap. They know when to get them to do crafts. If you don't allow your child to go to the kids' church where they, they can be taught at their level. Let me ask you, if you don't, if you don't, let, if you don't allow your child that is meant to be in the kids' church to go to the kids' church, what is your child learning? The child has no understanding of what the pastor is saying. So take the child to where they will understand what is being taught. And you know what? Don't say they are too small. Keep telling them. Some of the adults that we see now, some misbehaviors that we see in adults, were because they were not tamed when they were kids. So, my sisters, every one of us, we need to stay away from sin. You and I. And then the next thing I'm going to talk about is anyone who wants intimacy with God has to long for it. It doesn't just come like that on a platter of gold. David was one who had an intimate relationship with God. He continually sought counsel. He sought the presence of God. He sought help. I was very happy when you talked about that yesterday because I actually wrote it down. He had a deep understanding of who God is. In Psalm 42 verse 1, it says, As a deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants after thee, O God. In Psalm 84 verse 2, it says, My soul longs, yes, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. Say, my heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. In the same Psalm 84 verse 10, it says, For a day in your court is better than a thousand. Said, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. In Psalm 27 verse 4, I think somebody also mentioned it this morning. It says, One thing have I desired of you, Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I think it's in Psalm 84. It says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O God. You see, even when David sinned, he knew how to go back to his God. And you know one thing? <laughs> this, one of the places where David sinned in the Bible was in the book of, I think, Chronicles, where he, did this, where he took the census of the men of war. You see, 
Joab went, when he told Joab to count them, Joab said, my king, why are you doing this? So may the Lord multiply them in your sight. But you know, the, the, king of, the word of the king is power. The king still went ahead. He said they should do the census. They conducted the census. And the Bible says his conscience moved him. As soon as that was done, he started feeling guilty. Why did I do this? And, <laughs> you know, his relationship with God is, 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 is something that is worth studying. But he was called the man after God's own heart. That's the only man I saw in the scripture that sinned against God. And God said, choose between these three punishments. Which one do you want? <laughs> God says, choose one. <laughs> you know, I still, even though what he did was wrong, in the sight of God and his own sight, like taking a census, every country takes census. But God considered it a sin when he did it. And he was asked to, to choose his punishments. <laughs> Amen. I'm not going to dwell much on that, but um, I just wanted you to know that you can't have intimacy for God with God if you don't long for it. There must be a desire, a yearning for it. The third thing I'm going to talk about this morning is prayer. I'm not going to be dwelling much on that because I think you're speaking about prayer. Oh no, okay. Well, I didn't do. I didn't do. I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm still not going to be talking a lot about it. But I want to say that one way we can continually maintain intimacy with God is by prayer. Prayer is communicating with God. Prayer is a conversation. We speak and we respond. But you know what? We are so busy sometimes. I am not excluded. We're so busy and we just see it as a routine. And we just do it and we're done. And he's ready to speak. But we're not ready to listen. And then we just go out that way. We need to spend some time on the place of prayer. Focus on that conversation that strengthens your relationship with God. That conversation, that time that brings you into fellowship with your maker. The more we speak to God, the more we learn his character. Everyone knows prayer is a key factor in your relationship with God. So I'm going to move. I actually thought Amy was going to speak on that, so I didn't want to erase <laughs> God. So the fourth one I'm going to talk about is the scripture, studying the scripture. There is no way you can know your father without studying his word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, Every scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, which is in righteousness. And verse 17 says that a man of God, that a woman of God will be completely furnished, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The Bible is the word of God. I don't think anyone is doubting that here. The scripture helps us to establish a personal relationship with God. Knowing God can be a feeling 
as much as an, as an understanding. The Bible, which is the word of God, it helps man to interact with God. That way we know how he communicates. In Proverbs eleven seventeen, 17, it says, I love them that love me, and those that seek me diligently shall find me. In Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I eat in my heart, that I may not sin against you. In 105 of the same psalm, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my part. Can we open to the book of Jeremiah? If you have your Bible, Jeremiah 33, uh, 31. Jeremiah. Thirty-three, uh, thirty-one, please. <laughs> Jeremiah thirty-one, verse uh, thirty-three to thirty-four. It says, "Are you there?" It says, "But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law." in their inner inward parts and write it in their hearts. And I will be their God and they, might, they will be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor. And every man his neighbor saying, and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, saith the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. The word of God will be written on our hearts. Let nothing take the place of the Bible. The word of God. We must study it on a daily basis. There's something I'm going to... Um, that I want to say now, that affects a lot of us. I personally had to take um, a decision on that. Don't get me wrong. Social media is very, very good. You can preach the gospel through the social media. You can, um, your businesses, you can promote your business through social media. But one thing that has prevented a lot of us Christians from studying the word of God is social media. The only one I was active on uh, was Facebook. And I the yearning for updates on Facebook is terrible. It's a spirit. I'm sorry. But it is. It's sad when you're in the church and your phone is on Facebook. You know what I call all those things? Phone, laptops, um, what's that one you used? iPad. Bless you. You know what I call them? 
They are weapons of mass destruction. Let's even, let's even put God aside here. If, if, if we are even allowed to do that. Being on your phone for long hours of the night affects your sleep. Social media has taken the place of the word of God in our lives. You know what he said to the church in Revelations 2 and 3? When I look at those churches, I don't even measure up to some of the things they did. But he said to them, remember where you have fallen. To some of them. Remember where you have fallen. If he's going to take you to close your Facebook account. You know what I did in the first, first instance? <laughs> I'm not saying you should close yours, but personally, because everybody's relationship with God is different. What I first did was I made mine inactive. <laughs> but I still found that I'll still go back there at night sometimes. I will log in again. <laughs> and then I will go back to it. But at some point, I just knew I was deceiving myself. And I went through that process to actually close it. And it said, if you don't go back in it, in 90 days, you lose the account. I have lost my account. You don't have to do that. But you must take, you must make conscious effort to spend less time on social media. It's affecting your relationship with God. There's no need. There's no need. Why you should rush there? Oh, this just happened. That just happened. And then there's no more privacy. Please, let not social media take the time you should spend studying the word of God. If you want to grow closer to God, you must spend time. I must spend time on daily basis on his word. Next thing I'm going to talk about is worship. That's one way we can be intimate with God. The Bible says God is a spirit. It says, and those that will worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John chapter 4, verse 24. In the times of worship, what happens is we declare the truth of who the Lord is. Through worship, we align ourselves with the desires of God. And we are able to focus on God, who is our maker. As we worship, we see him as he is. The one who has all the power, all of the authority. The one who is compassionate. The one who is sovereign. The one that owns our life. We need to get an understanding of what worshiping God is. Thank God for all the ministries and the giftings. Prophecy, all of them. But they will all end on this word. The only ministry that is going to continue in heaven is worship.
they are doing it right now. It never stops. So cultivate the habit. That's all you and I need to cultivate that habit of worshiping God. Some of us who belong to the older generation would know about Smith Wigglesworth. I read something about him. I didn't get to read his books. That's, for those of us who don't know about him, he was the man that had the anointing of God on him was, he was crude and fresh. He was such a man that sometimes if it looks at someone that like there's a tumor in the, like the belly of a person, rather than so, sometimes he won't even pray. If God tells him, punch it, he will punch it and it will fall. That was the kind of person. His anointing was raw. I, I read something about when his wife died. You know, he, I, I, I read it long ago, but I think I can paraphrase it. Like, his wife taught him how to read. He was a plumber. His wife, he was never educated. His wife taught him how to read, and he was a great preacher. He was used of God. And then suddenly his wife died. And this man said, why? Why would you die? And he laid her. And he prayed life back into his wife. And the wife came back to life and said, Oh, why, Smith? Because she was already in heaven. She was enjoying what was happening there. And Smith said to her, We didn't plan on this. Why would you go? We didn't. That was not our agreement. <laughs> sit, sit up. We need to talk. <laughs> and then they talked and talked and talked. And, you know, and Smith said, Okay, now you can go. And then she died again. As a man of like passion, like you and I. If, if Jesus is saying we're going to do greater works, we are not even doing 0.00001% of what he did. So we are far from where God wants us to be. And you know one thing, the reason why I talked about Smith was because he said, if the Holy Spirit doesn't move me, I will move the Holy Spirit. You know why I said that? I talked about your freedom in Canada. Thank God for the freedom. I'm enjoying it. There's freedom in my country too, but some things happen. You have terrible leaders, but... I know God is going to visit Nigeria soon. Rich, blessed country, but something someday will happen. Why well, talk about Smith saying it will move the spirit even if the spirit doesn't move? Look, if you, let's give an example, like you come to the church and there's worship going on. Even if you don't like the song, focus on the one the song is being sung to. There's no reason why you should have your hands in your pocket. That's what I'm talking about, that freedom. You're just using it because nobody talks to you. Like, if it's, a, if it's my church in Nigeria, your hands are in your pocket. My pastor will come, take your fucking house out of your pocket. <laughs> yes. And there will be no offense. Yes. 
There will be no offense. Now that takes me, that takes me to Jesus and, and John. He called them. Jesus, Jesus called people brood, brood of vipers. How would you feel if Pastor Pastor looks at you and say, You're a snake? <laughs> How would you feel? But they never stopped following him. They never stopped. They never stopped. So please, if you find yourself anywhere there's worship, like I tell my kids, even when we're doing our prayers in the morning, don't say because it's our house. Be involved in the worship. Be involved. So you can imagine if we all come in through these doors, if you belong to this church and whatever church you belong to, you're walking through the doors of the church and you're part of the worship. That ministry that continues in heaven. You know, you know one thing, I'm glad that I'm a member of the worship team here. <laughs> so I'm practicing what I'm going to be doing in heaven. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but worship goes... It's much more than a song. Much more than a song. It's our way of responding to God. The God who loves us and gave himself, gave his son for us so that we'll be completely free from all encumbrances. That word. You know, God is powerful, he's omniscient, he's the master architect, he's great. He's I remember when I came to join the worship team here and Pastor, Pastor Lance asked me, why? Because you must have a reason. <laughs> they would ask, well, they asked, I don't know if they, they still do it. But I remember we were here, Penny was here, Gerd was here. And when it got to my turn, I didn't plan it before. But when he asked me, why? I said, because I want to give to God what he cannot give to himself. And that's worship. If you refuse to praise him, he will raise stones. God. You see, the Bible says he, he thought of what to swear. There's, he thought of what to swear with. There was nothing greater than him. So he swore by himself. Worship, God cannot worship himself. You have amazing dishes in Canada. Good food. But God doesn't eat it. He does not drink the best of wine. He does not eat the best of desserts. He does not eat your money, your physical cash. He doesn't need it. That money that is so precious that to, to even part with it is so difficult for some of us. He doesn't need it, but he needs your worship. Purpose in your heart today, sisters, to worship him in a dimension that you've never done, like you've never done before. Some of us, we've, we've been abiding, we've been serving God f for years with all of our hearts, all those things I'm taking, talking about, some of us are on point with it. But there's room for improvement. 
So I'm going to move on to the next point. I'm going to talk about trust. Like I said earlier, um, intimacy is a relational thing, and it never lacks trust. If you want to be intimate, intimate with God, you have to trust him. There are lots and lots and lots of ingredients to intimacy. But trust is very, very common to him. You cannot be intimate with someone you don't trust. Even on the physical level, you can't be intimate with someone you don't trust. The more we trust someone, the more we get closer to him. So the more we trust God, the more we get closer to him. In the book of Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, it says, trust, the, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. One thing I know about your own understanding is it takes you nowhere. So, why don't you commit yourself to the waymaker? When God sees someone whose hearts fully trust him and trust in his promises and lives by them, God comes strongly to support such a person and he manifests himself on, the, himself on behalf of that person. In the book of John 14, 21, it says, Whoever has my commandment and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved of my father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Trust God like never before. There are lots and lots of scriptures in the in the Bible that shows us and points us towards trusting in God. The more we trust God, the more intimately we, can, we, we, we come to know him. You know, if, you, if we feel distance from God, most often, it's not because you said something similar to that this morning, I think. If we feel distance from God, it's not because um, it's not because of any, any other thing. In most cases, it's, it's as a result of disruption in the trust that we, that we have in, he has in us. Like, for instance, Adam went to hide when he ate of that fruit because he broke the trust. He was to be the person who should take care of that garden. The paradise that God planned for us here on earth, originally. You know, sometimes I blame Adam. And Eve. I don't know if there's anyone that feels like that sometimes too. Like, why did you do this? Why are you making us going through all this? And I was always doing it until God told me one day, you are exactly like them. You're not in any way better than Adam and Eve. We need to move from that place of doing things on our own. Like she said yesterday, not asking God for direction is a sin. And we do it, you and I do it on daily basis. We go by our own understanding rather than trusting in him who is the landlord of this earth. 
the way maker. You know, if we spend time, if we, if we really, really trust the Lord, put our trust in him, life will be much more easier for us than it is. So we're actually doing ourselves a lot of disservice when we don't trust God. So I'm going to talk about something now. I have to move. I don't have time on my hands. One way we can be intimate with God is by serving him. And how do we serve him? Serving with all of your heart. Some time ago, I came across this scripture, and I was scared when I read it. It's Second Chronicles, chapter twenty-five, verse two. It was about the king Amaziah. You can open to it if that. If you want to. Second Chronicles 25 2. It says about the king of Amaziah. He said, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect act. It looks like two conflicting things. He did what was right, but not with a perfect act. Don't worry about my accent. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> what was perfect, but not with really a perfect that. So serving God has to come from your heart. There's a word you use here that I don't like when it comes to service. You call it volunteering. Please change that word in the house of God. When you volunteer, you do it if it's when, only when it is convenient. God wants to partner with us in his kingdom. And one way we can do it is to serve him. Serve him in church, serve him on the street, in your place of work, in your family, wherever he has positioned you. Serve him. Service is not optional in our Christian work. It is not voluntary. It is not. And it must not be done grudgingly. I don't know what happened to the king, Amaziah, that I talked about. But he was recorded in the Bible that he did what was right, but not with a perfect heart. God will not take that. If you find yourself in CLCC, your local assembly, wherever you are, Serve God with the whole of your heart. If it doesn't cost you something to serve God, then you're probably not doing it. It must cost you your time, your money, a lot of things. It will cost you a lot of things. It will not be convenient a lot of time. But because you've set your heart to do it, you have to do it to your father. When he, when he was going to save the children of Israel, when he was going to take them out of the land of bondage, he gave Moses one word. Tell him, let my people go that they may serve me. I was born and raised a Catholic. We call it Catholic here. We call it Catholic in Nigeria. 
And one thing, my dad made sure we did was to serve even in the Catholic Church. Like you may say, you're not a nun, you're not a reverend father, but we had our ways of serving. We belong to different things we're doing, and we were doing it from the depth of our hearts. Service to God is not optional. If you think it is voluntary, I am telling you today, one of the reasons why you're living here on earth is to serve him. If you belong to a local assembly and you're not serving, find a place to serve. And when you serve, don't wait for anybody to say thank you to you. Don't wait for anybody to appreciate you for doing it. You're doing it for your Father, which is in heaven. And you know what the Bible says? He never owes. God is not a debtor. It must cost you something to serve. You see, when David sinned, that senseless thing, and the option of the punishment that God chose, even though David said, I would rather fall in the hands of God rather than man. The angel that was sent to destroy people, I think he killed over 70,000 people before the break of the day. They were not the ones that sinned. But they suffered by association. When, when, that, when, when that angel finished, the Bible says he stood. David, God made David see that angel on the trash, uh, trash floor of um, Rauna. God made him see. So he saw the angel, the angel that was doing the destruction. And so he proposed in his heart to buy that field for God. And he went to the owner of the field. I need it. And the man said, oh, king, live forever. You can have it. And what did David say? I will not, I will never offer to God that which will cost me nothing. So if your service is not costing you something yet, maybe you are still volunteering. He paid for that floor, for the threshing floor. In Exodus, Exodus 23, 25, it says, And you shall serve the Lord thy God, and he shall bless thy bread, thy water, and I shall take diseases from the midst of thee. Can we open to Colossians 3? Colossians 3. Um, 23 to 24. Ha. My God, Colossians 3, where are you now? <laughs> Colossians 3, um, verses 23 to 24. It says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not unto man, 
knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ. says, do it heartily to the Lord. Remember that king. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. And of course, when I came in yesterday and I saw the verse, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I said, yes, that's one of the scriptures I wrote down. It has to be the place of seeking God first. When Joshua, in Joshua 24, made that declaration, ask for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know one thing that just that caught my attention in that, in that verse? He never went home to ask his wife or his children if they were going to serve God. He made that declaration. Ask, choose this day who you want to serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now I put a question to you. Is your house serving the Lord? If your house is not serving the Lord, don't give up. But you have a lot of work in your hand. You must intercede for the soul, souls of members of your family. If you have a kid now, keep telling that kid about God, about service to God. And as the kid grows, keep saying it. Don't stop talking it like one pastor will say in Africa. Don't stop talking it. If you had preached Jesus to your kid and the kid is now a teenager and is not following Jesus, don't stop. Let me tell you something about um, Anna. When Anna prayed and the prof- about, uh, about uh, um, the child, Samuel, and God gave him Samuel. Oh, no, before then. When, An- when Anna was praying, she prayed so much that the prophet Eli thought she was drunk. And then she made a, declar- she made, she made a vow there. If you give me this child, I will return him to you your service. And when it was time to go to Shiloh, and after that child was born, she didn't go. She said, I will, when I win this child, that's when I would be going. And the husband said, yeah. Note something. When she made that vow, she didn't speak with Elkanah. She didn't. She made that vow to her God. I, I know that at some point she would have told her husband, that's the, that's, the, that's the vow I made. Now let me ask you a question. If God had, um, if Hannah had waited until Samuel was a teenager before taking him to, church, to the temple to serve God, you think he would stay? He won't. But she took him at that time when he was still little, gave him over to Samuel the priest. He said, 
uh, to, uh, to Eli. Was Eli now somewhere? God help me. She gave him, she handed him over. This is, it was Eli. I think it was Eli. And he said, that's the child I prayed about. And she brought him. At some point, the children of Eli, the priests, were messing up. But Samuel didn't. He was brought as a kid. Don't say this child is two years old. He's one year old. No. Keep loading this child. Keep loading the child. Keep loading the child. There's going to be a time you'll be amazed. And if you did that and your child is on the other side now, don't stop. You know what? I keep, I, the few people I've had opportunity of sharing with, I always tell them, we must pray for the prodigal to come back home. But we must also pray one prayer. This once that are still abiding should not go out of his presence. It's costless, I, pay, I tell you. To pray for a child to abide than to pray for the prodigal to come. But I want to say to you today, you have a child that is a prodigal, your God is alive. He's the one who is the way maker. He's going to bring that child back. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. That child is, a, is, is, is engraved in the palm of the Most High. He will come back. And we'll do some, some kind of prayers. <laughs> some prayers in Nigeria. Like, God, give him no peace until he comes back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So Jesus himself Jesus himself, he says in nine, John chapter 9, verse 4, he says, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day. Because the night cometh when no man can walk. I'm good. I was sharing something briefly with you this morning, but I didn't tell you the genesis of the whole thing. I looked at the scripture in the ministry of Jesus Women served. If you agree with me, even though the men were mentioned, the people that made his ministry successful were women. They were walking on the background. They were serving. They were mentioned in the Bible. Mary, the mother of James, even Mary Magdalene. And she was one of those that was at the tomb when he, when he, 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 he was raised from the dead. I love the heart of that woman. She was delivered to serve. She served him till he died. She served him at death. And she was one of those that went to tell the, the, the disciples, the big men in the room, that he is alive. So women served. In the time of Jesus, Joanna, Susanna, mother of James, even the mother-in-law of Peter, when, Jesus, when she was prayed for and she got hid, the Bible says she rose up and cooked for them. In the Acts of the Apostles, women served. Lydia, I don't know how you pronounce it here. We call it Lydia. Do you call it, I don't know. 
In fact, she was a church planter. Priscilla, Aquila, Dorcas. If I went, Dorcas died. Women, was bring, they were bringing their clothes. Oh, she gave me this. She did this for me. She was such a blessing in the house of God. You cared for the widow? If you care for the widow, there's, there's great blessing that's attached to that. Because the Bible says true religion, taking care of the widow and the orphans. Hannah served. They all served. So please, count it a privilege when you are called upon to work in the house of God. Serve the Lord with the whole of your heart. Don't criticize those that are serving. While you're criticizing them, you're being condemned. But God is accepting it because he knows, accepting them because he knows they're doing it from their heart. Don't stay in the congregation and criticize people. In fact, when you begin to feel like that, check yourself. Because if somebody is doing something from a heart or from his heart for God, and all you're doing is condemning the person, we really have to be careful. And intimacy with God, I have observed, if we do it consistently, he helps us to know what to do and when to do it. Concerning the children of Issachar, in the book of Chronicles, the Bible says they had understanding of time and they knew what Israel should do. And that takes me again to the ten virgins that the Bible talked about. Is it, is it, is it, is it not funny? The Bible called them virgins. And yet, five were said to be wise and five were foolish. We all know what a virgin is. They actually kept themselves. But they had no understanding of the time. That was why some had extra lamb or oil. And the five didn't have. And when the bri bridegroom came, it, the Bible says it delayed in coming. Just like we're saying, there's a delay in the coming of Christ. Some people will say everything has not been fulfilled. But you know what? You don't know what happens tomorrow. Like sometimes Pastor Edward was saying, yeah, you may say I'm an old man, you're young. But I may be the one conducting your funeral. And it's the truth. It takes understanding. It takes intimacy with the bridegroom to know his timing and what you should do. I love the vision God gave to you about the bride not being ready. You and I are the bride of Christ. Are we truly ready? We are not. We need to stop playing church. Do the right thing. Stay away from sin. Sin is sin. There's no other name to call it. Let's stop doing things the way of the world. Let's stop bringing the world into the church. And you see, that's why God says that. 
judgment will start from the house of the Lord. The five wise virgins had extra oil. The foolish ones didn't have. They had to go look for oil before they got back. The bridegroom came. The psalmist says in the book of Psalm 73, verse 28, say, for me, it is good to be near God. God wants intimacy with us. He made this possible by the work that Jesus did upon the cross. He tore the veil. 60 inches, uh, 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick, manipulated by 300 priests. He tore it so that you and I can have access to him. There is an invitation from God to you this morning. An invitation to, from God to me this morning. To come enjoy this intimacy. Circumstances around us may want us to decline. But we must keep in mind that this invitation is not open forever. Now, I think I'll probably round off on this. Jesus is our true model of intimacy. In John 10, verse 30, he said, himself and the Father are one. The kind of relationship that Jesus had with his, fam with his Father was unique. His relationship with his Father was characterized by love and obedience. Can you let your child can you even die for the sin of your child? Everybody is a good mother here. Can you die for the sin of your child? You can die for the sin of your child? Nobody. But Jesus did. He died for us. The Bible says, why were yet sinners? Christ died. He came to do his father's will, not his own will. At some point, before he, before he went to the cross, he, 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 you, know, you see, God didn't even give him room for anesthesia. God didn't say, because you are God yourself, I'll take off the pain. He felt the pain. At some point, he said, if it was possible, God, let this cup pass over me. He went through that because of you and I. He suffered. He died. so that that sacrifice can be paid once and for all. You don't have to kill goats and rams when you sin. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, if we had to kill goats each time we sinned, all of us would be bankrupt. <laughs> but Jesus paid this perfect and the final sacrifice. We have to remain in love, we have to maintain this intimacy that God had to make Jesus die for us to regain 
because it was lost in the time of Abraham, um, in the time of Adam. True joy comes in having an, an intimate relationship with God, yielding ourselves, trusting in him completely, just like Jesus did. God, the creator of the ends of the earth, wants to have a relationship with us, an intimate one. He's beckoning on us. He says, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. And finally, I'm going to say, you have a role to play. If you are a wife, you have a role to play. If you are a mother, you have a role to play. Above all, if you are a woman, you have a role to play. The success of our homes, if you're a wife, depends a lot on us as women. If your husband is going to be successful, there's a lot for you to do. I've discovered that most men can't even fulfill their ministries if the wife is not playing a role. If your children are going to fulfill their destinies, you have a role to play. If, you're going to, if, if your house is going to be like Joshua's, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You have a role to play. And if you're going to serve God, serve him with the whole of your heart. Remember the church at Revelations 2 and 3. Is remember where you are falling. To some, he said, "Remember you." He said, "I have somewhat against you." Say, "Remember your first love." He said, "You left your first love." For so, for so, for one of the churches, said, "You you you are neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm." And you know, sometimes we are even cold. We are not even lukewarm. Lukewarmness is not acceptable in the sight of God, but we are cold sometimes. The invitation is open. God is looking for a man, for a woman, for a boy, for a girl that, will have, that he would have fellowship with. He has torn the veil. He has given us direct access to him. We don't have to hold anything back. We all need to search our hearts. Like for those that have been working with God and working and you, you're faithful with God, I bless God for you. Please keep doing it. Because God is taking you even into deeper things. For those of us that are lukewarm, so God doesn't spit us out of his mouth. Let's turn firmly. Amen. I don't know whatever form it's going to take, but I'm just going to leave it in the hands of those that are ministering. If you feel you have to make a commitment to God, if you want to do it on your own, you can just come and kneel. If you want to be prayed for, Please don't uh, hesitate to do that.
But I'll leave us with this. The Bible says, He who was an heir, let him hear. You and I, we have ears. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.